electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money does start right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Pete Najarian. Tonight on Fast, stocks slide into the close. And Nasdaq finishing at session lows as big tech CEOs gear up for Capitol Hill grilling. We'll break down what is at stake. Plus, capital concerns why one top Wall Street strategist is calling the trillion-dollar stimulus plan the biggest risk to this rally. And later, we are taking your questions, so tweet us. As CNBC Fast Money will try and answer them on the air. But we start off with earnings alerts on AMD and eBay. Both stocks on the move after reporting results. We've got full team coverage tracking the moves. Deidre Bost is standing by on eBay. That call is now underway. But first, let's get to Josh Lipton with more on AMD's quarter. Josh. So, Melissa, I just caught up with RBC's Mitch Steves. He's an AMD bull. I wanted his take on the print. He calls this a monster beat and raise. Nothing negative in the print, Mitch says, that he can see. Huge raise to the full year to 32% growth. That's up from 25% growth. Gross margins also expected to expand. That's due to those continued strength in server chips. Mitch saying AMD clearly gaining share on Intel. Just talking more about the report and the guidance. Q3 guidance are calling for about $2.55 billion. That is better than expected. The street was closer to $2.3 billion. They do expect 22 revenue to grow now about 32%. They call out strength in PC gaming and data center products. As for the two big segments in the quarter, computing and graphics segment, $1.37 billion. That would include chips for PCs and graphics chips for gaming. Then there's the enterprise embedded and semi-custom division. That was better than expected, $565 million. That includes chips for the data center and also chips for game consoles. And by the way, tomorrow morning, Must See TV, AMD CEO Lisa Su will be on CNBC to talk more about this print. Melissa, back to you. Thank you very much, Josh Lipton. This was an extraordinary quarter, especially given the high expectations going into this quarter, the belief already that AMD was getting market share over Intel, and now the confirmation, Pete Nigerian. What do you do with an 11% advance in the after-hour session? I think you got to trim some. I actually own some calls, Mel, and we've seen nothing but call activity in there since back, actually going back to June and July and obviously going right up into the print. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, huge option activity once again coming in there. But I think when you get this kind of a move, the great news that they gave, which is great news, I think I'd want to trim some of that. Matter of fact, I might take it all off tomorrow fairly early in the day and then just be very very patient to see when when and if we get another pullback for some more opportunities but they did everything right mel lisa sue has been running this like an absolute machine and it's been absolutely phenomenal to watch how they've taken apart intel and how intel it's unbelievable to me still that they went off and they had those delays that they had. That keeps them on the sidelines for another couple of years from the sounds of it. So if that's the case, Lisa Su and AMD will absolutely be taking market share, I think, quarter after quarter after quarter going forward. Now you'd ask, well, why would you take off your position? Only because of the fact that this is a huge spike. The stock's already made a big run into this. And I think oftentimes you get that big pop. And then eventually you start to kind of coast for a while and then maybe pull back. And I think there'll be opportunities in the future. Your take on AMD, Guy. Unbelievable quarter. I think Pete's spot on with this one. So it's interesting. Lisa Sue's going to be on again tomorrow morning. You call last quarter. 
wasn't nearly as great a quarter. And the stock, I think, closed at 54, traded down to 50. And remember, we talked about that being a huge opportunity to get long the name. And that proved to be correct. Now, I will say categorically, last night I said you take earnings into this number, the stocks run too fast. So this overshoot to me is unexpected. The quarter is remarkable. What Josh didn't mention was operating margins were over 12%. That's up from 7% this quarter last year. So it is a ridiculous quarter in all facets. You remember AMD used to just exist so Intel wouldn't be a monopoly. So AMD's come a long way. But to Pete's point again, this stock has given you opportunities to buy it on sell-offs and to sell it when the thing spikes. And I think this is one of those spikes you sell into and take profits. It is amazing the reversal of fortune, so to speak, when it comes to AMD and Intel. I mean, just a couple of years ago, it was the reverse in terms of how investors regarded these two stocks, Tim. Well, but so think about the, the premium that AMD now trades to Intel. I, I think this is at a place where this is overdone. I realize Intel ha, has shot themselves in the foot on the 7 nanometer, the need to go out there on foundries, AMD's gain, uh, TSM's gain, Samsung's gain. But, but you have a case here where AMD now trades at five times the multiple of Intel. At what point um, have you not priced in? Yeah, I, I get CPU. I get GPU. Uh, you've also priced this out two to three years, which is the same thing we talked about with TSM. At this point now with these multiples, and I know people have said this for the last three years with AMD and it's only gone higher, um, I'm an owner of Intel over AMD. I, I would have said that three weeks ago, though, um, but I still think after these moves we've had, and they've been so extraordinary, I, I don't know if anyone's doing a pair straight on this one. I'd rather own Intel. Okay. Um, he Self, would you rather? So, Dan, I'll, I'll toss it over to you, but I'll, I'll throw in a third <laughs> option. And that is Taiwan Semiconductor. We discussed this yesterday off this big Credit Suisse upgrade. John Roke from Wolf Research, the technician there, came out today with a chart on TSM. He said it looks, looks great because of the long base that it's been building. And now it's, it's moving off that base. Dan, what do you think of Taiwan Semi? Yeah, well, here's the thing. I mean, I think these guys kind of nailed the whole trade here. I mean, you know, Intel is being weighed down by these foundries. They're going to ultimately, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't see some activists get involved in Intel and try to move them away from um, to building their own chips. This has obviously worked very well for AMD. It's helped them take share, especially as they've gotten a lead now in, in a couple of these um, areas. I'll just mention this, you know, about the sales growth. I mean, when you think about Intel's fine, their sales are going to be flattish to up a little bit. You know, AMD's sales are still only about 15% of Intel's total here. So I agree with Tim on the valuation standpoint. Mm. They may continue to take share for the next year or so. When they get the set of a nanometer going properly, you know, you're going to see that share shift move back um, some degree. I think Intel trading at 11 times with sales and earnings expected to be just down single-digit percentages, it probably lines up pretty well. And then one last point, you know, as far as AMD is concerned, I mean, the stock to, to, I think, uh, uh, what's his name said this? Uh, what's well, his name out choices. there in Minnesota? Um, Guy, yeah, Tim, I'm totally Pete. Spacing. Oh, Pete, 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 Pete. The stock has rallied that 25% ain't right, man. That into ain't... the print here. There you go. I miss you, buddy. I'm sorry. I haven't seen you in like seven months or something like that. Um, you know, it rallied into the print, right? And so I, I think these guys have it right. I think it probably sets up as a good Intel long, AMD short, T Taiwan semi run too far too fast. Let that settle in a little bit. So Pete, since you're the one getting out of your AMD position <laughs> on the back of earnings, yeah. what are you putting that money into yep. if you had to pick in the chip space? Probably look more towards Micron. And I got to tell you guys, mm -hmm. the reason I would actually steer clear still of Intel is 
The reason it's trading at the multiple that it's trading is because they continue to disappoint. And this was another disappointment. And the fact that they're pushing this out for maybe a couple of years, guys, this is really something that's a huge stumble. This is a new CEO, newer CEO, whose job it was to make sure that Intel is not only the Intel that's going to beat AMD, but maybe even compete with NVIDIA and the rest of them. Well, right now he can't even compete with AMD, so I see problems here. I thought long ago Navin Chinoy was the guy who should have taken over because of the data center, and it's exactly what Microsoft did. They didn't make that decision, and unfortunately I think they're seeing what's happening right now, and I don't know, guys, whether or not we're going to see them start to grow into a bigger multiple. I just don't know that they can do that. They've stumbled too many times, and at some point in time, they might be in a languished spot like AMD was for so many mm -hmm. years. They might be the new AMD, and AMD's taken over as Intel. Yeah, it may be a little bit of a show-me stock at this point. Um, let's get to yeah. eBay. It is moving in the after-hour session, tumbling, in fact. Let's get to Deidre Bosa with more on what is driving the move. D. Hey, Melissa, it has been bouncing around an after-hours trade, but firmly in the rest of the last 45 minutes or so, the company giving third quarter and full-year guidance above expectations, gross merchandise volume, key for this company. That came in better than the street was expecting. I did just speak to Yusuf Kuali at SunTrust, though, and he pointed out that the implied second-half guidance for this year is less of a beat than what he saw in the second-quarter numbers. He also points out that marketing services revenue was a bit light, but I think the thing here, Melissa, that you have to keep in mind is that shares have been on a tear over the last three months, up some 45%. That's outperforming um, certainly the broader markets, but the tech plays as well. So I think that expectations were very high going into this. We heard from the company last week that they would sell a classified ads business uh, for $9.2 billion. And these slight beats that we saw across the board for eBay, it's not enough, I think, for to justify this enormous run that it has seen. Um, over the last few months, but do keep in mind, too, that it is underperforming some of the other e-commerce names benefiting from the stay-at-home, shop-from-home um, trend, and that certainly uh, includes Amazon, Wayfair, and even Etsy. Back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you, Deidre Bosa. So uh, you got to wonder if earnings season, tech earnings season, is going to be characterized by an AMD or by an eBay, both of which ran into their earnings report. Very different stories here on the report in the after-hour session. Guy, what do you make of eBay? Yeah, I think Debo just nailed it. By the way, I give credit to Dan with that nickname. I mean, that is it's one of the better nicknames we the have best. at the network. With that said, I mean, <laughs> I think to Deirdre's point, the stock has had a huge run. This quarter is fantastic. I mean, operating margins were, I think, 34%, up from 29% this quarter last year. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the gross merchandise volume up 26% year over year. This is a pretty ridiculously strong quarter. What's working against it is the fact that the stock has had a huge run. I think the weakness in eBay is to be bought. I think this was a good quarter. It just, the stock probably just got a bit ahead of itself. Dan? Yeah, I agree with everything guys said. When you think about um, the fact that they're selling this classified business for $9 billion, not on anybody's radar, think of what that does, help them pay down that debt of $9 billion. They have $5.5 billion in cash on their balance sheet right now. This is a company that, if you think about that back half implied guidance, yes, they have pulled forward maybe some demand um, for some sort of uh, you know e-commerce sort of activity that might abate once we kind of reopen a bit better. But I think some of the, the the behavior by consumers or by sellers is going to stick around here. So I think this is a really cheap asset here when you think about after that classified sale. I think it's a buy on any pullback down towards that $50 level. 
This is an interesting headline, presumably from the call. Uh, the, it's difficult to predict exactly how buyer behavior, retail sh channel shifts, changes in the economic environment will affect our volume over time. And I guess that is the question, Tim, going forward for a lot of these companies. We just we've never been here before. We don't know how much of that pull forward or how many of those new customers are going to stick around, particularly at a time when maybe the economic outlook sort of grows a little dimmer. Yeah, well, and they have a new CEO rolling in, too. Mm. So uh, there's still, still a lot of unknowns. And as Debo pointed out, this stock's actually outperformed AMD year to date. And all we do is talk about the move in AMD. So, yes, everyone's pointing out this stock's uh, come a long way. I, I, yeah, the bottom line with, with payments and advertising that are rolling in, uh, to, to some extent, this is a secular trend. This is everything that is actually trading to a higher multiple after this. So it sounds like the group is saying, hey, uh, pick your spot to get back into this name. I would agree. 158% uh, move off that bottom, though, uh, makes this multiple a little bit challenging. And again, still some prove it to me on, on a new initiative at the top. All right, let's stick with earnings here. There were some other very big movers today, McDonald's, Pfizer's, Pfizer, 3M, DR Horton, all out with results. We thought it would be a perfect time to play one of our favorite games. Trade it or fade it. In fact, it's not just our favorite. It's America's favorite game. So let's start off with McDonald's dropping yes. more than 2% today after posting a small miss on earnings. Pete, we'll go to you for that. Well, you know, I think the problem for the McDonald's, everybody was looking at them saying, you know what, the, the fast food industry doesn't get hurt in something like this because all they do is drive through. And that's partially true, I guess, Mel. But the facts are that they, they hurt a little bit. And unfortunately, when you completely shut down, now they've shown improvements as we've gotten further and further and deeper in towards these summer months. So I think that's something to hang your hat on. That's why I think it's still a trade. I still look at this company and say, you know what, the multiple, it's a little bit high, but they can actually, <laughs> I love that sound, they can actually, I think, get through this and continue to grow as the drive-through business. As long as we don't have another shutdown, whether it's internationally or here, I think this is a company that absolutely can get back up and through that 200 number and maybe push again towards 220. All right, let's move on to Pfizer, jumping nearly 4% today after beating in the top and the bottom lines. Dan. Yeah, I mean, this one, we obviously you know, talked about last week, the vaccine sort of news in this name. And, and I think Tim actually aptly said, you don't buy it for the vaccine news because we don't know what that news is going to be. But by the same token, some of the data looks pretty decently and probably gives you a bit of a floor in the name. We know it's a cheap stock. The stock has obviously had a big run just in the last few weeks with that vaccine data. But, you know, I think that today's, yeah, I think you trade that thing. Thank you for moving me along here a little bit. And I think you buy it on pullbacks. You know, I don't think you have to buy a stock on a down day up 4%. But I think this is a name you want to own, Pfizer. Yeah, and I think what he's saying is he's going to trade it. So let me get it right out there and say I'm trading <laughs> Pfizer. I'm trading on the multiple. I'm trading on uh, the fact that it trades somewhat expensive to its peers for a reason. Uh, I think you got reaffirmation of that today. Not that it's supposed to be why you're buying the stock, uh, but the dividend yield is solid. The balance sheet is fantastic. And, yes, they're in the conversation uh, on a vaccine, but that is not the catalyst to owning this thing longer term. All right, next up, 3M dropping nearly 5% after reporting disappointing quarterly profit and revenue. Guy. Yeah, despite the fact that Dan forgot where Pete is from, and Pete's name, by the way, and Pete is from Minnesota, and Minnesota <laughs> manufacturing and mining and the triple M. Right. Look, you have to admit the stock has not been a great performer now for the last couple of years, a series of lower lows, lower highs, and I think that trend is to continue. So I would say fade it, Mel. 
Mel, I'm going to jump in real quick and say that I think it's a trade it. And the reason I say that is things couldn't get too much worse than they did for 3M. And the reason I say that is look at where they got hurt most. Now, they actually did well in certain medical device sort of side of things. But the problem that they're running into right now is a lot of the transportation exposure that they've got, some of the industrial exposure they've got, and a lot of that had to do with the shutdown. So I know that it's a newer CEO, once again, that we're talking about here, but I think he's going to be able to guide this company further into the future once they can actually get through, because things are improving as we see the economy slowly start to grow and get back up to hopefully someday some normal levels. Thanks, Paul. Just, just kidding, Pete. Uh, finally, the <laughs> home good. builder, DR Horror. I'm just kidding. I'm picking on Dan, actually, which is a lot of fun. Uh, dropping 3% today, even after beating on the top and the bottom line. Tim. Uh, you got to trade it. Uh, I think these trends in home building, I, I've continued to talk about the, the dynamic, not only this, the secular trends that are also helping a lot of the home builders in terms of the, the migration out of the urban centers, but also limited supply affordability that's actually being mel- met with by folks like Dr. Horton. And, and then just the whole household trading trend. And we've seen this with Masco. We've seen this with Sherwin-Williams. We've seen this uh, with Restoration Hardware. So uh, there's nothing that has changed in terms of this trend other than that these stocks have had a very good run. This is a pullback, maybe not to buy, give it a day or two, whatever you want to do, housing stocks are going higher. All right. Let's. Uh, yeah, I'm not so that. certain about that. We saw, you know, mortgage rates ticked up last <laughs> week for the first time in a while here. Obviously, these stocks have traded very well. So they're still um, record uh, Given low. that supply. Di- yeah. Given that supply <laughs> demand dynamic here. <laughs> Um, but with mortgage rates ticking up and these stocks acting the way they did, I thought, D- I thought the DHI reversal today was pretty interesting. You may see this thing settle back in towards 60 where it just broke out just a few weeks ago. All right, let's switch gears here. We are develop- following a developing story out of Washington. Let's take a look, a uh, live look at Capitol Hill where the Trump administration lawmakers are debating the next round of stimulus. This comes after Senate Republicans put forward their trillion-dollar plan. Let's get to t- Kayla Tashi, who just spoke with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Kayla. Melissa, the Senate Majority Leader said it's hard to predict when the chambers of Congress will reach a bipartisan deal that can move forward on COVID stimulus relief. Republicans discussed their series of bills with the Treasury Secretary and the White House Chief of Staff earlier today during a policy lunch. The Trump administration officials then went and discussed uh, their findings with Democrats. And now we await word on where things go from here. But in a first on CNBC interview earlier today, I asked Leader McConnell uh, whether this would be a piecemeal deal, whether he's open uh, to passing some of these bills, but not all of them. Here's how he responded. Well, that'll be subject to negotiation with the Democrats, but we're not negotiating over liability protection. I'll be responsible for putting the final agreement on the floor. And as I said, it will have liability protection in it. So we're not negotiating with the Democrats over that. So that is his deal breaker. Democrats, though, have said they also won't budge on that, that customers and workers should be able to sue if the virus spreads on that location. And voters actually agree. A CNBC change research survey found only 26 percent of respondents and 50 percent of Republicans supported the direction of McConnell's proposal. A reduced unemployment supplement is also in the crosshairs. Democrats have said their $600 weekly bump isn't necessarily a red line, but that it needs to be higher than Republicans offer of $200 a week. McConnell said that number is justified considering that there will be stimulus checks too. The way the bill was, the previous bill was crafted, five out of six workers are actually making more staying at home than going back to work. And remember, all of these folks are going to get another 
$1,200 in direct payment. So both sides digging in their heels on certain issues. We are also, Melissa, awaiting President Trump to give a briefing at the White House. We'll see whether he can broker a deal on this stimulus. Back to you. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tashi in Washington. Our next guest calls a massive stimulus package the biggest risk to this rally. Let's bring in Mandy Zhu, chief equity derivative strategist at Credit Suisse. Mandy, great to have you with us. And specifically, you mean if, you, we, if we do not get a, a bill through, correct? Yeah, so I, I would say this is by far the biggest risk factor for markets, uh, certainly for the second half of this year. And what's interesting is actually in most of my recent client conversations, investor conversations, most people actually fairly, I would say, complacent around this risk with the predominant view that, and I quote, you know, something will get done, right? Congress will figure something out. But my pushback has been, you know, that something, the specifics around that something, that really matters, right? Whether we ultimately end up with a $1 trillion package or something that's much bigger, that's going to have an impact on the economic recovery. Um, and, some, you know, some investors think, you know, regardless of the amount, the fact that the Congress is doing additional stimulus, mm-hmm. that in itself should be bullish for markets. But, again, my point, my view is that, you know, what matters for markets from here is the rate of change, right? If you're going from a $2 trillion stimulus that was in the original CARES Act now to a $1 trillion stimulus, that's a quite significant cut. So that's something that I'm watching very closely in terms of driving equity markets going forward. And specifically, not just the headline number of the size of the deal, Mandy, but in terms of what is in the deal, I would imagine that the enhanced unemployment benefit is going to be key. Consumers will feel that difference. And as you mentioned, it's, it's the rate of change. It's the change from what the status quo is now, which is $600 a week to what it could be, which is Republicans are proposing 200. Let's say they split the difference and it becomes 400. Is that also a risk to the market that people are, are fairly complacent about? Yeah, so I think you've identified one key component that we're watching very closely, which is the unemployment insurance supplement and just how far, you know, how much it gets reduced from that $600. So uh, I would say right now people are probably expecting final number around that 400. If it ends up being much lower than that, I think that's going to be a big risk for markets. Um, another thing that I don't uh, hear a lot of people talking about, but I would put up there in terms of importance, is state and local aid. Right? Without federal assistance, you know, a lot of state and localities are going to have massive budget uh, deficits, and you know, if that's not addressed, you know, we're going to see job cuts starting at a state local level, uh, and that's going to have an impact on the economic recovery as well. So that, to me, is another component I'm watching, the state and local aid, in addition to the unemployment insurance. The bright side to all of this is volatility is is fairly low, Mandy. So are you recommending that investors actually put on some protection trade uh, going into the next few days? I mean, what, what is sort of the recommendation out of all of this? Yes, so absolutely. So I would say, you know, I think last time I was on the show, I was talking about how everyone was talking about hedging the downside risk. You know, things have completely changed. I was almost 180. Nowadays, we've seen very little interest in hedging, and I've actually been recommending to investors to look at downside hedges. Um, given, you know, the decline in volatility, I do think this fiscal cliff is an underpriced risk to markets. I would say investor focus more recently has, much been, has been more on tech earnings, uh, especially coming up this week with a lot of the mega tech caps. Uh, tech companies reporting. Um, that's important for sure, given you know, the dominance of tech in this recovery. But to me, again, in terms of what's going to drive 
the stock market for the second half of the year. It's this fiscal, the next fiscal um, stimulus bill and the risks around that. So what we have been doing is recommending people look at more tactical, shorter-dated hedges Mm -hmm. uh, in case we have a delay in fiscal stimulus or a significant reduction in the size of the stimulus bill. Mandy, great to speak with you as always. Mandy Zhu great, thank you. of Credit Suisse. Uh, Guy, what do you, what do you make of that? BK has been on this train for some time that this is the biggest risk. People are, are looking past this, assuming something gets done. You also have been assuming that something gets done. As we approach the deadline, yeah. are you maybe worried? Worried about a lot of things. I mean, maybe I should be worried about this. I don't know. But I also know that we're within 100 days of an election and the Republicans and look, they can fight all they want. But we know that at the end of the day, they're going to have to get something done closer to $600 because people need to get elected. So Mitch McConnell can talk his fiscally responsible stuff all he wants. But the fact that they, you know, it's amazing. This has nothing to do with Mandy. But the fact that we throw around trillions like it's nothing, it's remarkable. My, my question has always been, where are they getting this from? And the answer is uh, something we're going to talk about later in the show. And that's why precious metals are moving. With that said, I do think it gets done. I think it gets done closer to 600 than to 200. Yeah. And, and I don't think uh, it's as much as a threat to the market as maybe BK or Mandy thinks. Closer to 600 would be a real relief. I mean, the McDonald's CEO, I believe on the conference call, uh, said something to the effect that that $600 stimulus check has helped McDonald's sales. And a reduction in that could also translate into reduced sales. Um, so, Dan, you know, 600 versus 400 yeah. may not seem like a lot to a lot of people, but it is. It, it's a lot. It's on a weekly basis. Um, you know, it's also what these uh, a lot of these consumers have been relying on. They don't have a lot of savings, so there's going to be a pretty sharp drop-off in consumer behavior. We've already seen consumer sentiment uh, data this week um, trend lower. It's not looking good month over month. Um, I'll just make one other point. You know my good friend Pete Nigerian from Minnesota, uh, <laughs> who I haven't seen in seven and a half months, um, and I know he is uh, a freaky options trader here. You know, to Mandy's point about protection in the market, if you were to look at the S&P 500, the SPY, the ETF that tracks it, and you're looking at the 321 strike, put strike out in August, okay, August 31st, one month out, that cost you about two and a half percent. So, you know, to me, um, you know, option premiums are pretty low considering all the potential headwinds that we see right now. And just so, just to put it, uh, you know, uh, in in a nutshell, 5% implied move over the next month, that seems pretty easy. We could see that, but if you're only looking to protect, it's two and a half percent. So to me, I think downside protection in the SPY, especially at this technical level, sitting right on that uptrend from the market flows looks pretty reasonable to me. Well, I think Dan's exactly right. And Dan, Dan, when you look at this and you look at that volatility index, I mean, we're not talking about too long ago where we actually were in the 80s for volatility, right? I mean, we looked at the VIX. It got up to 84 or maybe even a little bit higher than that. 60s, 40s, 30s. And here we are in the mid-20s. So the opportunity right now, I think, to buy some protection at the levels like you're talking about from a percentage basis we can look at that and say, you know what, it's going to cost me the 2%. That's a great hedge because obviously these moves to the upside have been absolutely incredible. So with a VIX trading around 24, it makes total sense to me. And there are ways that you can spread it off. You wouldn't even have to put up that much more money if you were willing to spread it off saying, I could see a sell-off, but it's not going to be an absolute hurricane to the downside. And that way you can even take in a little bit of the premium by buying a higher strike and selling a lower strike. 
like options action in the A block of Fast Money here. <laughs> Full show on Friday if you like this options talk. All right, coming up, another record for gold prices today, but is the real reason behind the rally a reflection of the Fed? We'll debate that. Plus, we're all over the big after-hours move for Starbucks. The company's call is now underway. We'll bring you all the big headlines. And breaking news on Facebook, the company just released CEO Mark Zuckerberg's prepared testimony ahead of tomorrow's antitrust hearing on Capitol Hill. What he plans to tell lawmakers when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street and Washington gearing up for a big day for big tech. Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, Sundar Pichai, and Mark Zuckerberg all slated to appear before Congress tomorrow for a historic antitrust meeting. Julia Borson standing by with some of the details in Zuckerberg's testimony. Julia. Yes, that's right, Melissa. In his written testimony, Mark Zuckerberg defending Facebook's scale and reach, saying that they face plenty of competition when it comes to the advertising market. And in his written testimony, he says Facebook became successful the American way, saying, quote, we started with nothing and provided better products that people find valuable. As I understand our laws in our laws, companies aren't bad just because they are big. Zuckerberg making three key points in defense of Facebook's size. First saying, quote, our story would not have been possible without U.S. laws that encourage competition and innovation. He points to the challenge from China, saying Facebook believes in the American values of democracy and free expression, and quote, China is building its own version of the internet, focused on very different ideas, and they are exporting their vision to other countries. Second, Zuckerberg defending the acquisition of Instagram and and, and WhatsApp, saying those companies became what they are thanks to Facebook's infrastructure. And third, saying that Facebook is once again asking for more regulation and less decision-making power when it comes to harmful content, privacy, and election integrity, among other things. Now, Zuckerberg has called for regulation on those issues many times in the, in the past. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. It, it almost sounds like they got the lawyers together in the room and thought, what will the administration put forth in terms of antitrust arguments? And he addressed each thing and throw in a bit on China, because that is a populist issue right now, Tim. Boy, I mean, the violin strength were really <laughs> struck with, a, a, with poetry. And, and so there's no question uh, they are well prepared for hitting all of those red, white, and blue themes. But if you think about the numbers that they're about to announce, I, I think actually users and engagement are going to be very, very solid. The question ultimately is going to be uh, on margins and expenses. And I think that's where they're going to continue to have to spend money. It ultimately comes down to the multiple you're willing to pay for, for Facebook. At this point, we really haven't seen a major deterioration from the advertising community. We all know we're waiting for the S. SMB community to really just also just prove how healthy they are or not going into uh, the late fall. But right now, uh, I think it's about the multiple Facebook trades cheap for a reason. I, I don't think there's going to be anything we hear tomorrow that's going to change that. And I don't think there's anything that's going to help that. SMB meaning small and medium-sized businesses. Um, we saw a late-day slide in technology, big cap, big cap technology. Dan, and I'm wondering if you think it has anything to do with these hearings tomorrow. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, think about it. We got the AGA of MAGA all reporting on Thursday after the close, including Facebook, too. That's probably 35 percent of the Nasdaq 100. And those CEOs are going to be virtually on the hill. If you think that these companies are going to flex and, and be um, overly optimistic about their forward guidance at a time that they're going to literally be scrutinized by our lawmakers, I don't think it makes sense. So the idea of being somewhat cautiously optimistic on the way out makes sense, but I would not rely on these companies really giving the sort of guidance that we just got, let's say, from an AMD or something like that. It's just not in their best interest because all weekend long we're going to say, hey, look at these guys. They're winning the pandemic. It's not particularly popular. One other point on China, when he talks about China, yeah, he's wrapping himself in the flag a little bit, but don't think for a second that Facebook, Instagram in particular, are not freaked the heck out about TikTok and what's going on right there. So if anything, I think they'd love to see TikTok regulated and then just kind of get a little bit of a pass, um, at least on regulation until next year. Or banned, outright banned, which would really be a help for Facebook. Um, Guy, Dami, what what do you think in terms of the tech hearings and, and, you know, the AGA of Mac? reporting. Kudos to Dan uh, coining MAGA long before so President popular. Trump wrote it on that yeah. piece of paper. And it's true, number one. Brilliant, exactly. And as Regis say, Dan knows a lot. Rest in peace again, Regis. But, you know, you go back to the middle of June when advertisers start, said they were going to start to pull. And we actually said pull the ripcord. It's funny, though, on June 26th, I think, that's when Procter Gamble made their announcement. The stock traded down to 207 and reversed on that day on pretty big volume. And we said, maybe that's probably your reversal to get back in. I don't like Facebook on a number of different reasons in terms of the platform, but you have to respect the stock. And I think, as Tim just said, they're going to report some pretty unbelievable numbers on the 30th. And you know what? It probably continues to rally from here. What's your favorite, Pete, out of the AGA? Uh, well, I, I got to tell you something. When I look at Facebook and everybody's talking about Facebook, and, and we know that Zuckerberg already has experience being in front of folks like this before, and now it's going to be virtual. But I think the reality is, Mel, when you look at, at what they have done and what Mark has done through his career, this guy is a shark. He's an absolute guy who attacks things, and he comes off so passive that it's absolutely unbelievable to me. So it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like Superman, and he's got his certain cape, because this is a guy who's made 70 acquisitions since they went as a public company. So they have done everything in terms of how do they build to the next thing and the next thing and get the next vertical. And they've continued to do that. And when somebody gets in front of them or doesn't want to sell, they go right after them and crushes them once again. So I think it's something really interesting to watch. And I tell you, I don't think Facebook is overpriced. Even at 230 or at 250, I look at the multiple, yeah, it's a little bit higher. But the reality is, take a look at their balance sheet and take a look at generally what the growth is going to look like. Now, obviously, this has been a bumpy, bumpy road for them recently. And I, I still think they need to navigate this in a very careful way. But I still, when you look at it right now, I think Facebook is still very, very well positioned. And if Zuckerberg can do the right things in front of everybody, he probably will be cautious in in terms of what he's looking at the forward part of the markets did you catch that i asked pete a question and he said facebook and not amazon google or or, i mean that was masterful pete you just skated right around that skated all around that all right coming up check out gold prices hitting a new high today we'll break down exactly what is behind this rally and whether it could continue and later we're bringing you another round of total request fast money tweet us your burning trading questions we might answer them live on air fast money's back in two wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Gold also competes with the confidence of people in the institution of, of fiat currencies, with the managed currencies. Uh, you can think of gold as the kind of the reciprocal of the world's faith in people like Jerome Powell. So it's one divided by confidence. That was Jim Grant earlier today talking about the Fed's impact on the new gold rush. The metal settling at yet another all-time high ahead of tomorrow's Fed decision. Um, Guy, what do you make of Jim's comments? He's right. I mean, he's right. I mean, there are a number of different reasons to be bullish gold. I know you have a tremendous memory, and it was many years ago that this story came out about the Germans wanting to repatriate their yes. gold from France to the United mm-hmm. States. And we talked about it on the show, and nobody seemed to think it was a big deal. And you know what? For a long time, it wasn't. Now, all the see, every time I open Twitter, they're talking about Germans repatriating their gold. And I'm telling you something. It's going on. It's happening mm-hmm. People say gold's in a bubble here, but, you know, Tesla goes from 300 to 1600. Nobody bats their eye. Gold is a real story. Central banks are tripping over themselves to devalue their currencies. They are the biggest villains of the 21st century. And gold wins to all of this. Despite the move, uh, you saw the way it performed today. Could have sold off in a meaningful way. It didn't. I think gold and silver continue to go higher from here. Yeah, and central banks have been buying gold since 2002, since the rallying gold really started. And obviously it took a break somewhere along the line. And, but in the meantime, we got uh, the, the type of QE that we never believed could be possible. Uh, and that's even now relative to, to five years ago, let alone 2011, which are the highs we just broke through. The thing to remember about gold, ultimately, it's an inflation hedge. And what is this telling you about inflation? If you're going to tell me that a 10% fall in the dollar, uh, you know, essentially since mid-February or since that, sorry, those March 9 lows uh, of the market, you actually uh, are, are not paying attention to inflation expectations and where actually you're starting to see uh, real impact there. We're going to get inflation. It's not going to go well. And I know in some level central banks have been asking for inflation. Be careful what you wish for. We also talked to Michael Novogratz of Galaxy Digital, by the way, in Squawk Box, and he said gold to 4000 Easy. Those are his words. So uh, interesting, all the calls on gold now. Coming up, shares of Starbucks jumping on earnings. The company's call is now underway. We'll bring you some of the highlights, including comments about a recovery in China. Plus, canopy growth lighting up today. Will the stock keep its highs going? Fast is back in two.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Starbucks. Shares are rallying after hours. Let's get to Kate Rogers on with more. Kate. Hey, Melissa. A better than expected Q3 in an overall tough environment here. The loss per share was better than expected. Revenues also came in above estimates. Global same-store sales fell 40 percent, U.S. down 41 percent, and China, its second home market, same-store sales declined by 19 percent. While transactions fell in all of those markets across the board, average tickets increased in all of the markets as well because consumers spent more when visiting. Starbucks also issuing some updated guidance here. Global comps and U.S. comps both to decline between 12 and 17 percent for Q4 and full year. China comps roughly flat to down 5 percent for Q4 and a decline of 15 to 20 percent for the full year. Adjusted EPS of 18 to 33 cents per share for Q4. CEO Kevin Johnson says that breakfast is still a headwind for the company due to the lack of routine, something that we also heard from McDonald's this morning. Starbucks is also working on reimagining store formats, engaging with customers digitally and adding more plant-based items. Tune in tomorrow morning. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson will join Squawk on the Street for a first on CNBC interview at 9.35. Melissa, back over to you. Look forward to that. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. Um, This was also said uh, China sales to substantially recover by the year end 2020. So by the end of this year, Tim, and that, that seems like that's key as well here. Yeah, the, the, that Q4 outlook is really quite bullish, especially yeah. when you consider some of the headwinds the company's had. But I, Starbucks seems to adjust as well as any company I've seen, especially one that's so in touch with the consumer uh, and some changing t- trends, tastes, et cetera. So uh, they've been closing stores. They've been doing what they needed to pull in. You can see that the ticket sizes are larger, even if uh, sales are where they are. Those global comps, um, you know, th- those are those are not great numbers, but they are got, they got better throughout the quarter. Uh, the China comps, I think, are actually very good, and that outlook is outstanding. So what do you want to pay for Starbucks? It gets back to a company that's traded between 25 and 32 times. Uh, it's right smack in the middle. In fact, the range, it's, it's been consolidating between the $72 and $75 level. Uh, as I think folks know, I own the stock. I've owned it for a long time. There's nothing I've heard that changes that view, and I think they're going to reload the gun. Dan? Yeah, you know, Tim's exactly right. At 28 times next year's earnings, if sales are expected to increase 20% and you get back to normalized or, or, or pre-COVID earnings sometime in 2021, the stock seems very reasonable. I'll just make this one point. This stock topped out last summer on this quarter on their fiscal Q3, traded $100 and then just started going down. It never made a new high pre-COVID. So it looked that investors were already getting a little worried about some um, sort of headwinds. Um, so to me, you know, listen, I think um, China's important, but who knows if we're going to have a second wave? Who knows what this looks like um, in the next couple quarters? So to me, I'm just a little bit surprised about how good that Q4 guidance was. Yep. Stocks are still up 6% after hours. Coming up, shares of Shopify soaring up 148% this year. We'll break down why options traders see even more room to run. Fast Money will be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shopify shooting higher on the back of a big call from Goldman Sachs, the bank upgrading the stock to buy while admitting they missed this year's nearly 150 percent run. Over in the options market, traders are betting even bigger on even bigger gains heading into tomorrow's earnings. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So, yeah, Shopify, obviously the stock is up a lot. So are options volumes. We saw calls outpacing puts by more than two to one today. Most of that was short-dated weekly call buying. The most active of those, believe it or not, were the 1,100 strike calls. Over 7,000 of those traded for an average of $13 apiece. And what happens when you see stocks that have moved this sharply, and they're also high-dollar stocks, so this one's close to $1,000 a share, you start to see a lot of interest pick up 
in the options. And these were probably retail traders because the average trade size was just two contracts. However, I would point out for those who are thinking about following the action, there is only about one chance in six, according to the options market, that the stock actually does broach that $1,100 level by the end of the week. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up at the top of the hour, Jim Cramer is sitting down with the CEO of Centene. Be sure to catch that interview tonight on Mad Money. That's 6 p.m. Eastern time. Much more fast. Meantime, straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast. We've got a market flash on L Brands. Bertha Coombs got the latest. Bertha. That's right, Melissa. L Brands is cutting about 850 corporate jobs. That's about 15% of its staff in order to cut costs. Uh, the company says it'll save $400 million a year. The problem sales for the second quarter expected to be down 20% year over year overall led by a 40% decline at Victoria's Secret. However, a little bit of a ray of sunshine, a 10% increase in sales at Bath and Body Works. I guess that's the one thing that people are doing while they're at home, Melissa. They're bathing and moisturizing, I guess. Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. Um, they also say the cash and liquidity position remains strong. They've got more than $2.5 on their balance sheet. Pete, I will go to you since you're probably the only consumer on this panel of Bath and Body Works products. Yes, wow. and I am. I absolutely am. I will tell you this as well, Mel. It's interesting because obviously the, they point to the fact that they have themselves in a fundamentally, they've, they've got themselves in a d decent position as far as their cash position. I could also tell you that we've seen a lot of options activity in there as well. Somebody sort of sniffing out the idea that they're going to have to make some changes. They're going to have to adjust as they go forward. But the cash position is something that's very, very important. And maybe there's some upside. So I can tell you that we are seeing folks out to January buying, which is a very unusual, but buying upside expecting to see that this stock could make a nice move to the upside so I, I think it's really important to just keep a very close eye on it though because again as you mentioned people are not going out shopping for some of the other items that they sell at least not to the same degree and if they are they're doing it digitally yep um, stocks up 12 percent time for another edition of total request fast money our traders are answering all of your burning stock questions you got one on a pot stock that's been lighting up take a look hey Jeff here I want to know today about Canopy growth stock. It was down last week. It's big up today, 13%. What the future looks like with COVID and federal regulations? Let me know what you guys think about it. And it's not just Canopy, Tim, that's been on fire. Um, all of them across the board have uh, seen nice gains in the past couple of days. Yeah, the, the Canadian names are up big today. There was an upgrade in the sector. Afria announces tomorrow, who probably, you know, has uh, very strong numbers to report on a relative basis. The U.S. names, though, if you think of the big four, Cresco Labs, GTI, TrueLeaf, uh, you know, th those are CureLeaf. These, these are companies that are all going to announce in, in August. Uh, the sentiment behind legislation, there was some talk even uh, that the House is going to push for legislation in September. Uh, doesn't mean that, that the Senate will vote it through, but that it's called the Moore Act and that you actually could see the the, the pathway for uh, descheduling. So the, the bottom line is the operational elements of what's going on in the sector. There's great companies that are executing now. The addressable market is growing and these stocks are on fire. And, and chart guys, look at the cup and handle. Look at the flagpoles. I mean, you name it, they are there. The sector, it's, it's an exciting time to actually see execution. Canopy Growth is the biggest name in the sector. Uh, fiscally, they've reeled it in. They're actually very focused on the U.S. to the business that they can do here. Yesterday, they announced an e-commerce 
website focused on hemp products uh, and an entire line of pretty interesting stuff, bringing in professional athletes, etc. So that's that's the story. But people have heard a lot of hype in cannabis before. This is real. All right. Um, if you've got a question, tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We'll try and answer them all week. Meantime, coming up, final trades. Final trade, Tim. Starbucks, those normalized earning trends are starting to happen sooner than many expected. Pete. Dropbox, we had some buying in there today, Mel. I bought, I bought the calls. Dan. Yeah, QQQ, sell it in front of the Aga Maga. Guy. Pfizer <laughs> drug comes out PFE, Mel. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.